maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we delve into your questions on timed dinner reservations, hosting baby showers, how to handle a host's bad culinary skills, a flash mob thank you, and tipping your grocery store delivery service. All that plus a postscript straight out of Emily Post's 1922 edition coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. Wow, my Monday was exciting. (laughs) I know, we didn't see you till like mid-afternoon on Tuesday. On Tuesday, I know. My wonderful cousin, Scott Flynn, has a uh, really cool trio that he plays with. Go ahead, tell us their name. Yeah, I was going to say, called Elephant Wrecking Ball. You might have heard of them, especially if you're on the East Coast, although they did just do a a little tour. But um, it was really fun. My cousin came into town, my little cousin, Scott's like my brother. From the other side of the The family. The other side of my family, um, so not related to Dan here. But it was so cool. It was my first time actually getting to see him play. He is a killer trombone player, and then they also have a bass and a drummer, and he does really cool things with it, but here I found myself playing host, and all of a sudden I had to make up guest rooms and make sure that dinner was ready for them, and they were so sweet. They were such great house guests, but I just, I wanted them, they're on such a road schedule and everything. I was like, listen, don't worry about doing dishes. Don't worry about trying to contribute to anything. This is my way of getting to treat my my little cuz when he's in town. So please like, you know, just relax and enjoy yourselves. Focus on your gig and let's have fun. But it was awesome. We were up till 3.30 in the morning, hanging out, talking, laughing. It was it was a great, great night. I was about to get all cliche with you and make some sort of remark about a rock band in your house or a band. And then, of course, they travel a lot and they're good they're, at being on the road and they're good at being guests. They're good guests. No, it was really awesome. So it was a lot of fun. If you get a chance to check out Elephant Wrecking Ball, please do. Um, but we actually have some news on our podcast today for you. And I'm I'm actually a little a little loath to say it. Are you? I, I know. Yeah, I, I know. know. This is a little sad. Um, this is our wonderful producer Hans's last episode with us. He is graduating and promoted and moving on to other wonderful ventures within the world of producing. And um, we we are going to miss him. One of the the difficult things about working with great people is everyone wants to work with them. So it has been an honor and a privilege. And we will have more of a chance to send Hans off with all the appropriate glowing praise at the end of the show. But we wanted to, to acknowledge that and give all of you an opportunity to appreciate Hans as we celebrate his final show with Awesome Etiquette. And we look forward to introducing you next week to our new producer, Chris Roberts who we're really excited will be joining the team and traveling with us for our next 103 episodes. (laughs) With all of that, shall we get on to this show today? Let's do it. All right. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. 
On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. I love this. Our first question today is timing dining. <laughs> Dear Lizzie and Dan, I recently visited a restaurant for the first time and made my reservation via an online app. I was a little surprised when the reservation confirmation noted time parameters that diners were expected to adhere to. For example, two diners were allotted 1.25 hours, four diners 1.75 hours, and six 2.25 hours. I understand that they want to accommodate as many diners as possible in an evening, but am I wrong for feeling that the specificity of the time limits was a bit gauche? Perhaps this is how things are done now, and I'm just unfamiliar with the practice. Denise. Oh, uh, boy, I I don't think I'd want to frequent a place that asks me to um, please keep track of my time and leave quickly. Like, This really? is pretty terrible. I think it's gross. This would never stand in Europe, by the way. I mean, I know we're not in Europe, but this would never stand in Europe where you have hours, hours, hours at a restaurant. I mean, you basically like commandeer a table for the whole night. And as an American, you need to learn that you need to ask for your check. Yes. In order to, to, actually to conclude the meal. move things along. Yeah. But in the States... It's more common to have people moved along. I'm reminded of a story, I think it was 60 Minutes, and I'm remembering it from high school. And it was a, a restaurant that was putting hourglasses on the table. Oh, and my when people word. sat down, they'd flip the hourglass over. And they were they were playing with this idea. It was supposed to be fun. And oh. it, it was terrible also. Yeah. It was terrible back then. I think it's terrible now. I think it's perfectly reasonable for a restaurant to track the way it builds reservations. I think internally, having these kinds of metrics would be really useful. But... Externally, not so much. Imposing them on your customers, I think, starts to cross the line where it makes me less comfortable. So there are some things that restaurants do that I think what happens is they get too stuck in the management of a restaurant and they forget that the experience of the customer is actually what's going to bring the customer back. And what drives me nuts are things like, well, we save money if you hold on to your silverware and use your first course silverware for your second course. So, okay, you want me to hold on to dirty silverware oftentimes without a bread plate or something to put it onto so that I can use my silverware from one dish with another dish. And I just think that's imposing a lot of what works for the restaurant onto the customer as opposed to thinking what works for the customer so that they have a good experience and want to come back to the restaurant. And I liken what's going on here to that. I think this is, again, sure, that works for you so that you can get good turnover. I don't want to come to your restaurant and feel rushed. I wouldn't dine at a place like this. You mentioned something that, that brought a thought to my mind, and that was the thought of a service. Yeah. And really, this is the role of good service, that if, you're, if your serving staff is trained well, they can keep meals moving. And there's no way to force someone to leave a table, but you can definitely keep service happening in a timely fashion that's going to allow you to schedule and plan reservations in a way that's consistent, that's yeah. dependable, where you don't have people waiting for tables that they've reserved ahead of time. I would rather see this restaurant focus on telling its servers, hey, 10 minutes after you've cleared all the plates, that's when you should offer to bring them the check or offer to get something else or to wrap things up and see if that encourages the table to turn over. And if it doesn't, then ride it out. But I think the etiquette here is that I wouldn't go to a restaurant like this if this is what they were asking on the customer. Mm -hmm. The question here is, uh, is, was it a bit gauche? I think it was gauche. And is this just how things are done now? No, absolutely not. 
I couldn't agree more. I want to leave us with an etiquette positive thought. I like that idea. We oftentimes say etiquette's best when used as a tool for self-assessment. I think this is a great moment to say to yourself, no, that's not the best behavior for a restaurant. There are times where I find myself sitting somewhere and there's clearly a crowd behind me. And I will say, you know, it's time to clear this table. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's time. We can have this conversation just as easily walking to the car on the drive home. And I can make the space available for a restaurant that's really going to appreciate that. No need to linger. Now... I'm not saying you have to leave. I'm just saying there are moments when it occurs to me to free up a space so a restaurant can use that table. Denise, we hope that helps and that you enjoy your next meal wherever you decide to dine. Ta-da! Baby Shower Blues is the title of our next question. Hi, I'm going to be a grandma, first grandchild, very excited. My son and his fiance are expecting in October. This is my son's first child and her fourth. As soon as I found out, I told them my daughter and I would love to have the baby shower. My son's fiance selected a date, which is a few months away. I received a text today that she'd like to change to a week earlier. No problem. She also asked where I plan on holding the shower. I told her my house, which she felt is too small. She also told my son that I need to get a hold of her mom to include her in the planning. I'm just a little confused. When someone offers and pays to have a shower for you, shouldn't you just be thankful and excited? Providing the list of invitees and showing up are the only two things you need to worry about. I guess my question is, should I be running things by her mother and including her mother in on the decisions for the shower? Thank you, Debbie. Debbie, let me start off by congratulating you on becoming a grandma. That is awesome. And from everything that I hear, I'm, of course, not speaking from experience here, it is uh, one of the best things that can happen in life. I continue to hear from my mother how much she loves her new role as grandmother for my nieces. I like that her first biological grandchild also comes with this marriage as a as as four grandchildren total. So it's like instant grandma, hooray, like lots of lots of grandkids all at once. I think that's kind of awesome. I do too. And it's um normal and natural to be thinking about the best way to celebrate the newest addition. And I really like the way you took the initiative and said, you know, I really want to host a shower for you. That is absolutely the appropriate and correct thing for close Uh, friends and family to do when they hear about uh, a baby, a new arrival. Absolutely. As far as planning and including everyone, it is um, definitely a good idea to check in with the guest of honor about people that she would really want to have invited. And you mentioned that at the end of your question, that you're really hoping to get a list of potential invitees as well as her commitment to be there. So you're going to want to check her availability for that time as well as people that she wants included. And the other piece of information that your future daughter-in-law offered is wise also. If there's someone else who's intending to host a shower, I think it's a good idea to know that. You might coordinate with that person. It might happen independently, but it's definitely another piece of information that starts to complete the puzzle. Sort of. Um, it's so th- there's some old tradition that's bringing in a thought right now, and that's that um, mothers of of pregnant daughters don't throw showers for their daughters because it looks like a grab for gifts. Yep. So traditionally, you don't have a mother host. In fact, you might not even have 
you know, this the the, the husband, future mother in law. Yeah, the future mother in law host. That even might be a close connection. But today we say that because people live so far away, really anybody can host a shower. And so it it's it's not inappropriate to think about co hosting with the um mom to be's mother. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you might want to consider. I understand the where Debbie is coming from that here she's planned a party. She's, you know, being thoughtful and generous with her her time and her expenses and here she's kind of being asked then to do something different and include someone that she hadn't really planned on including from a hosting perspective. And I do think that starts to feel a little bit like toes are being stepped on or like this generosity that you're extending is starting to be controlled by someone else, which makes generosity not quite feel as well-received. And I think that what I would really make sure to do would be to talk to my son about how things are going. Where is his wife right now? I mean, we are dealing with hormones, and sometimes that can bring up expectations or thoughts or hopes, and they're just tied a little more emotionally than they normally would be. So it's good to check in with someone who's really close to mom-to-be and say, you know, how is she doing? Is she Is her mother someone who really wanted to throw a shower, maybe couldn't do it on her own, and so a joint shower is a really nice thing to offer? Is there a way that this could be approached so that it doesn't feel like your hosting toes are being stepped on? There's one other little point in the question that I think speaks to that guest of honor maybe stepping a little over the line with her asks here. And that's the idea that that she suggested that the house might be too small for this party. (laughs) And definitely as a host, I'm thinking about how I can do everything I can to make the guest of honor experience as good as possible. As a guest of honor, there are definitely some little indications here that maybe um, you're starting to make asks of the host that, like you say, start to feel like demands and can really start to turn the way that party feels or is meant to feel in a subtle but important way and takes the attention away from the place that you want it. And this is one of those really delicate places because you have a guest of it's not just a party at Debbie's house. It's a party for a guest of honor. And so you both I think what would have worked from the beginning would be to say, let's let's name mom to be something. Uh, Kate, Kate, I could fit 25 people in my house for this party. So please send me your guest list with 25 names or 30 names, assuming that about five aren't going to be able to come to the party. And I think that would have been a good strategy for letting her know about how big you could host at your house. It is an option. It's it's I could see a suggestion being done of, oh, well, if if, you know, the party could only be 25 and I really have 40 people. And even that's starting to be a really big baby shower, just so you know, that could be approached in a delicate way. But I also think you really do have to look at the fact that someone is generously offering to throw you a shower. Just let them throw the shower that they can throw. I, I, I couldn't agree more. The other um, question that Debbie asks is, should I include her in all of the decisions for the shower? And the answer there is clearly no. You want this to be something that is a pleasant surprise. You want there to be some easy breeziness to someone showing up and being showered with gifts. If you're really hitting all your marks as a host, and um, while it's important to check in for the things that are important for getting her there, it's also a really nice thing to think about taking on uh, a lot of those responsibilities and managing a lot of those details yourself and on their behalf. So what do we think that Debbie should do at this point? I think she should have a conversation with her son and and at least kind of get a feel for the lay of the land, kind of what's what's going on with mom-to-be and, and mom-to-be's mother. You know, is this the time where she says, okay, you know what, this isn't exactly how I'd like to do it, but let's invite 
the other grandma to be a co-host and see what happens. And it might be that this party becomes something very different from what you thought it would be. And that's okay. It also might be that you say, you know what? Guess what? You can have more than two shower baby showers. And grandma of mom-to-be, might, or mom of mom-to-be, other grandma-to-be, there we go, might host a shower that has, you know, more of her family and her friends uh, that want to support this lovely couple and their, their first child together. If it seems like the other mother's uh, shower would be very different from the one you're throwing, you can always say, you know what, let's just have two showers. It's perfectly appropriate to do so. We can kind of keep it as two simple parties then, and it looks like it'll make the planning a lot easier and be, I would kind of say, done with it. Yes, maybe, maybe depending on the reaction you get. Absolutely. Uh, my final note on this question, we often talk about the host guest dance. And that it is a dance and there's a back and forth and there's definitely a a person who's in the lead, the host. And part of being a good dance partner is handling those little missteps that sometimes happen along the way smoothly. Debbie, we really hope this helps and that you have a smashing shower. Our next question comes from Annie in Utah. She gave us a call and left a message on our voicemail. And it is about a very large thank you. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Annie from Utah. I'm a native Vermont that I've been displaced for a while. Anyway, um, recently, my husband and about 150 of our friends um, threw me an actual flash mob in celebration of our 15-year anniversary. My husband reproposed. It was fully choreographed. It was amazing, very, very exciting, and pretty much the best thing that's ever happened to me, ever. What would be an appropriate way to thank all of these people? I was so moved that I really would like to write them individually to tell them what their involvement in this project has meant to me. And at the same time, I'm like, maybe that might be biting off more than I can chew. I have expressed my heartfelt gratitude over Facebook Um, I guess there was a private group there where they helped organize things. But what would you suggest would be the best way for me to express how grateful I am for this incredible gift? Thanks. Bye-bye. Flash mob. Oh, my goodness. Annie, that is awesome. (laughs) That is truly a well-done anniversary, we should say. That was awesome. And talk about some new territory for etiquette. Flash mob etiquette? Flash mob, thank you, etiquette. Flash mob? That's the thing. I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten this question before. I think you did. Okay, so typically we say you write an individual thank you to everyone who did something like this for you. That's 150 people, 151 if we include her husband. Um, And I think that that's a lot. Not unsurmountable task, but that's a lot. And I think that you did the right thing by going to that Facebook group and posting there because that does get directly to everyone. I'm sure you thanked them all that day. So you've also given an in-person thank you. I think what would be really cool if you're still feeling like you haven't done enough thanking would be as you run into these people throughout the year, as maybe you have a moment and you have an afternoon where you're thinking about how great it was and you can take the time to write a little card to just one of the people, just kind of keep a list of who you're able to send that individual thank you to and see if within the year you could get through all 150 of them. 
I love that. And it could be different touches for different people. Yeah, it might be. But you run into them in the grocery store and you just think to say, Catherine, I was thinking about that flash mob the other day and I can't tell you how much joy it brings to my heart. And it really was one of the best experiences of my life. And I'm just so grateful that you were a part of it. Thank you. Imagine if like you cross someone who four months after you did something really fun and surprising for them really gave you a heartfelt thank you. Or maybe you receive a card in the mail that just says, I was just thinking of this and thank you so much. I love that idea. It's so much better than any of the ones I had. What did you have? That, well, But let me also just tell you why I love that idea yeah, so okay, much. Yeah, go for it. I, I like the spirit of in those moments when it occurs to you. Because I always think thank yous are the best when they come from that inspired place, when you really mean it, when they feel genuine to you. And when you have that thought, when you've got that moment in an afternoon, maybe it's an extra 15 minutes at work or you're sitting at home in the evening and you are thinking back and remembering how cool that experience was. It's the perfect moment to pick up the phone, jot that note down. Just some way of reaching out. And remember, too, we're saying that this is okay because she's been able to thank them in person. She's been able to thank them on this Facebook group. This is just how do you go Beyond that, that, that because you step. feel the beyond. You're grateful in the beyond way. Special events inspire special thank yous. And if you wanted to do that really special thank you, I was trying to think of other gestures that might be really significant. If there is something that unites this group or that's common to your group of friends, a, a, a cause or an experience, you might make a donation or make a, a gift of some sort to a local group or charity and let the group know that you've done it in their name or in their honor. Something different, something a little more outside of the box or above and beyond. Beyond. Exactly. Start to think creatively the same way they thought creatively about you. The, the one other idea that I had that yeah. might help you drill down a little bit is talk to your husband and ask him who the real movers and shakers were. That's that true, I'm too. sure out of those 150 people, there were people that were more involved in some ways. Maybe there was a choreographer who took time. Maybe there was someone who scheduled a rehearsal. Maybe there was someone who loaned a space, organized the music, loaned a space. Um, get a list of those special players or get some idea of who those characters are and maybe make an effort to connect with them in a slightly different way than you would with that general thank you that went to all 150. Any one last thing that needs to be mentioned is we, of course, love the fact that you are a Vermonter living in exile in Utah. <laughs> we got a kick out of that. But Vermont misses you. We hope you get a chance to, to visit again soon. And we hope the next 15 years are as good as the last. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Let's try another trick. Our next question is about grocery delivery. I think this is an etiquette that might be coming back. Right, because this used to be a real thing, and now it's a thing again. <laughs> Dear Dan and Lizzie, my fiancé and I just moved to New York City, and although we've only been here a week, we're already discovering how many new apps and online services offer delivery right to our door. We decided to try out a grocery delivery service. In fact, just a few minutes ago, a friendly courier dropped off our week's groceries in three neat packages. As I answered the door, I realized that I hadn't thought at all about the tip. The only cash I had was a $10 bill, which I gave him. But as I did, I wondered if $10 was really too much, especially considering that the service charges a delivery fee of 5 or $6. In this situation, is tipping expected? And if so, how much is appropriate? One possible complication, this grocery service also offers the option of unattended delivery, an option that would make it impossible to tip, as the bags would be left at our door without any personal interaction. Does the availability of unattended delivery signal that tipping is inappropriate, even when the delivery is attended? Best, Claudia. 
Claudia, I think this is kind of a, it's a cool etiquette question because it's kind of a, like Dan was saying, it's like a retro etiquette question. Grocery delivery really used to be a thing and now it's come back. Um, and I I think it's really cool, you know, receiving Blue Apron and stuff. I think any, any, any ding, ding, food ding. that shows up at your door is pretty darn cool. Um, but what I would say is I would do two things. First, I would call the company and I would ask what they're expecting. Um, some companies actually don't allow their uh, their delivery people to accept tips because they do have a delivery charge. And that's supposed to compensate for the gas and the, the travel and the person's time who's delivering it. And it really is supposed to be that. And you're not supposed to be worrying about a tip on top of it. Other companies, it might be worked out that they are really thinking or it's very customary for their customers to tip. So calling the company to ask is always a good first step. I think that you have a delivery charge. It This happens every single week. Do you really want to set yourself up for every week adding another $10 to that grocery bill? Um, I would send, I would think of using the holiday tip, which you've heard us talk about before, the holiday thank you for a service that you really love and appreciate. I would use that as a time to tip. And again, I would send that tip to the whole company so that they can divvy it among the delivery people. Or I might make sure to, to touch each different delivery person that shows up within the, end, the, the December month at the end of the year. In regards to the unattended delivery, I think that that might be an indication that they don't expect a tip. I really do. Um, it would not be safe to leave a tip like taped in an envelope to the door. Someone will just grab it. Or I would like to think your neighbors or passersby wouldn't do that, but it's just not safe. You don't know whether or not that tip is really reaching the person it's intended for. I also wondered if anywhere when you use your credit card to sign up for this service, is there a line that says, do you want to include a delivery tip? That would be another indication that there's a delivery charge and you're still expected to tip. But this isn't like the pizza guy. This is a weekly service. I think that this is you're in safe territory to not be tipping. Dan. I, I like the way you're playing detective here. Okay. And you're, you're looking for little cues. I, I absolutely said call the service and ask also. Ask them what's common, what's done. Ask them what that delivery charge means. That's a great question. Is it shared with the person that's making the delivery? Is it really, does it all just go to them? That delivery charge might mean different things. It might mean different things in different contexts. Like one immediate parallel in my mind is when you order room service and there's already a gratuity charge that's on that room service bill. And that's really intended to be like a tip. It's a gratuity. It's it's shared with the person who's delivering that food. On the other end of the spectrum, I think about a service that was exclusively delivery They might very much think of a delivery charge as a delivery charge. If it was a more traditional grocer, a delivery charge might be added because someone in the store is going to go around and do the shopping for you. And the delivery charge doesn't actually take the place of the tip of the person who then brings that bagged grocery to your apartment for you. So calling the company and finding out what this delivery charge stands for really is kind of an important step when working with a new a new vendor like this. Absolutely. And again, I like the way you're a detective, the way you're um, looking for clues. And for example, the fact that a company offers unattended delivery starts to indicate that that delivery charge is the gratuity for the person who's bringing it because there is no opportunity for the other thing to happen. So really, at the end of the day, Claudia, this is a little bit up to you. I would say do a little bit more detective work and and call the company, kind of find out what's expected or how that delivery charge is parsed out. And then you can decide on your own whether or not to leave a tip. And in that spirit of it really being up to you, let me 
be that other little voice in your ear that says, go ahead and give them a tip. <laughs> and it might not be that full $10. You might know that that delivery charge really is the bulk of your tip. That covers what you want. But a dollar or two for the person that's actually standing there, a little something truly extra, something not expected, a, a, a real gratuity, something that you do to show your gratitude. One last thing for you to think about, Claudia, is also take into consideration, do you live on a you know six-floor walk-up? Or is it, you know, something where it's really easy to deliver to you? And that's one thing I know in New York City, it's a really good thing to think about. So uh, consider also where you live and what extra steps they may or may not have to take. If they just leave it with your front door guy and that's it, then I really might not worry about leaving that tip. And so at the end of the day, what Dan and I are really trying to say is this truly is up to you once you've done a little bit more investigative work. Enjoy New York City. Enjoy all the wonderful delivery options that you have and enjoy getting really comfortable with when and when not to tip. Our next question is titled Crouching Meatloaf, Hidden Pepto. And we did not come up with that, by the way. That was our listener who came up with that, which I thought was super clever. Lizzie and Dan, I would appreciate your take on a challenge we experience with relatively new friends of ours. We were invited to their house for a meal, which surprised us as we normally eat out with these new friends. Previously, they had made it clear that they had little skill or interest in cooking. It was great to spend time with them in their home, but the food was, to be charitable, not good. A few months later, we had a similar culinary letdown at their house. The next time was a last-minute invitation, and rather than risk certain disappointment, I said that I had already prepared an entire meal and would be happy to bring it to their house for us all to share. While this worked, miraculously and coincidentally, having an entire meal ready to go next time they invite us for dinner doesn't feel like a viable strategy. We're loath to confront them, and as parents of young children, it isn't always an option to head out for food. What advice would you give? With warm regards, Crouching Meatloaf, Hidden Pepto. Ooh. This is such a rough question. We like you so much, but you're bad cooks. And there's no easy out to this one. There really isn't. Uh, And clearly this couple is trying to venture into new territory. Like, I bet they were talking at home like, oh, my gosh, we got to... We got to get on that. We need to be able to invite people over and serve them food and let's learn to cook. And it's so nice to spend time with them, but we can't afford to eat out all the time. We should make an effort to do some of this at home. You can hear all of the the, right? the, the possible and good reasons why someone might change up uh, the, the norms in a relationship and try something new, step out of their comfort zone. And unfortunately, you have been asked to step out of their comfort zone with them. But maybe fortunately, there's room for some growth here. I would not advise talking to them about the quality of the food they're serving at yeah, your dinner parties. Yeah, never going to be a good idea in the world of etiquette to do that. Uh, um. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting us over to dinner, but I'm terribly sorry. You don't know how to cook. Lucy and I are laughing and groaning at the same time because this really is one of those situations that's both comical and difficult. Yes, um, yes sorry. If you were incredibly close, you might be able to bring it up in a way that showed some good humor. Um, Aw, Kelly. We'll make sure to blame it on the oven. Exactly. Whatever it is. I don't know why. My mother is famous for burning toast. And over the years, her family has been able to to talk about that with good humor. Right. Although in a new friend situation, I don't think that I would would bring it up. The traditional etiquette answer here is that you approach it with 
the awareness that you might not be able to eat a full meal that's really going to leave you satisfied when you accept an invitation from these particular friends. So eat a big snack ahead of time. Be prepared to eat a little snack afterwards. You could even have some trail mix in the car. Take smaller portions when it comes time for dinner. Take smaller portions. You're not expected to eat anything that you really don't like. You're expected to try everything that you're served, but you also don't have to fake it. You don't have to sit there and mash up everything that's on your plate to try to create the appearance that you've eaten more than you have. Take the small portion, take a trial bite or um, quantity just to, to try so that you've actually tasted what you've been served. Mm-hmm. But um, you're not expected to lie. You're not expected to tell someone how delicious their food is. Right. You can always thank them for inviting you, for having you, for making the <laughs> effort, for preparing a menu, for preparing just, a meal. You don't have to talk about the actual quality of the food at all. <laughs> if they ask directly, you... Um, Again, might be able to approach it with some good humor, but unless I was asked a really direct question, I don't think I would bring it up as a I don't problem. think I could even bring it up if it was asked directly. How did you like the meatloaf tonight? It was very moist. Like, I mean, you try <laughs> to find the, the benevolent truth, the most positive thing that you can say and be honest about. But what I would do is a couple different things. One, how, how many times have you invited them over to your house? Because if you're a pretty good cook and you like your food, that's a good thing to, to at least counter with so that you have some engagements where you're enjoying the food and you're enjoying the time spent together. 50% of the problem solved. Yeah, exactly. So let's deal with that other 50%. I would say let's knock out another quarter by always offering to bring a dish. Oh, let's make it a potluck. I would love to bring the side dishes. You take care of the meat. 75. 75% there. All right. Um, I would also get talking with them about cooking. So you guys told us before you didn't really love to cook, but I'm seeing you're really doing a lot in the kitchen. Cook together. You know, I would love to cook with you or I would love to share some recipes. But get talking about them with cooking. You can bring up ideas and resources that you love. Maybe there's a website or a cookbook that you could introduce them to or loan to them so that they do get good ideas. Those would be starting points for how to handle this. And if it doesn't ever get better, well, maybe this is a couple that you just start saying, hey, let's go play dodgeball together. I was going to say bowling. Yeah, (laughs) like something that doesn't involve food. Well, Crouching Meatloaf Hidden Pepto, we truly hope that uh, the next time you write in, your title is Life of Pie. Good pie. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or you can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. Or you can reach us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want it on the show. Well, it is time for one of our favorite sections of the show, the feedback section, where we get to hear a little bit from you. And this is the last feedback section that Hans will be doing. Hans, welcome back to the show one last time. Thank you. I'm, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Well, no, a big thank you. And um, I know our audience thanks you as well. This feedback section is a lot of fun. Well, I want to thank the audience right back through this microphone right now. Thank you, audience. Um, No, everybody's been amazing. It's been an amazing, amazing ride to be a part of this. And 
Uh, I love, I know that Lizzie and Dan say it all the time, but this is my favorite part of everything that we do because hearing from everybody and knowing how it impacts people has just been the greatest gift of doing this show. And it's just, thank you to everybody. I just wanted to take a second to say that on this, on this last moment. (laughs) (laughs) So with that said, yeah, what do you have for us today? So I want to focus today. We got some feedback from, from a woman named Karen who was responding to episode 101, which uh, was a question. We had a question in 101 that was book club blues. And so this was a question from someone who had a longtime book club. I think 15 years they've been running this book club. And they had invited a new person who had started recently with the book club. And this person had started to dominate the conversation, was interrupting people, not letting other people finish, um, jumping in when people would take a pause to think of something. So the question asker, who was named Stymied, uh, was the moniker. They had led conversations about how to deal with each other, how the rules and what they wanted their group dynamic to be like, but it wasn't helping, and so they were really confused. And your advice to Stymied was have a conversation, talk it out. So Karen wrote into us uh, with her perspective on book clubs, and I wanted to focus on this today um, to talk it through with you guys. So Karen said, I love book clubs and have found that they are usually not as orderly as those who don't attend book clubs might think. There's usually a good amount of wine and food involved, and conversation can and should get lively. When things get out of hand, as they do during a good discussion, it can be controlled by the host or any book club member. We resort to the symbolic talking stick, which can be anything on the table, like a salt shaker, a spoon. Only the person holding that object can speak. So the person holding the talking stick shouldn't be afraid to enforce their rights. A good old, hey, I have the spoon can break a lot of tension. (laughs) I think having a private discussion will surely hurt the offender's feelings. A good host should not be afraid to speak up in the moment and implement some rules since suggestions aren't working. I totally think that the things Karen has brought up are really valid. There are a lot of um, good discussions that are rousing, that are fast-paced, that are people jumping in. And if that's the dynamic that the group's okay with, I think that's wonderful. But we really didn't get that sense from Stymied. And what what Stymied had talked about was that she did try in the moment to correct um, uh, I believe the, the character we used was Molly, uh, Molly's behavior and say someone else was talking or I'd really like to hear Joan finish. And so she was doing those in-moment corrections. They had discussed as a group what the expectations for the group was uh, were, excuse me. And I think that it's it's really important to recognize that Stymied had gone through all of that. They didn't mention the use of a talking stick. Um, and I think that would be possibly a good physical reminder to someone like Molly. And I think that that could be a really easy thing to turn to. Molly, Karen has the talking stick right now. But I think I I can understand Karen's perspective of that a private conversation might be something that would hurt Molly in this situation. But I also think that Stymied had done enough in-group work that it was time to be able to say that's an okay thing to do. And and I recognize it as an escalation. If you escalate to that private conversation to address that, issue and you do it well, I think then you're you're also escalating your etiquette. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking your your good hosting behavior to that next level also. But it does require an awareness that you're that you're crossing a line of propriety decorum to ask to have a difficult conversation with someone to bring up something about their behavior that isn't good. 
Potentially That's awkward, potentially potentially difficult. awkward. So, I think in the future, I would definitely add to our answer the the idea of bringing in a talking stick as one more kind of half step before having that private conversation. So, Karen, thank you so much for giving us that suggestion. Well, now uh, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. time for the postscript segment of our show where we explore the exciting nuance of a single piece of etiquette and today we are going back to great great grandma actually i think we called her great great grandmama <laughs> and um reading from the 1922 edition of emily post's etiquette Today we're going to take a step back on a page that we visited previously, page 191 from the original 1922 edition of Etiquette. And previously we had looked at this section around changing trends at the dinner table. And we started off by looking at a very Baroque dinner table. It's one of our favorite sections of the book. And I want to, to take a step back to the top of the page and to describe the dinner table of yesterday. All of us, old enough to remember the beginning of this century, can bring to mind the typical and most fashionable dinner table of that time. Occasionally, it was oblong or rectangular, but its favorite shape was round, and a thick white damask cloth hung to the floor on all sides. Often as not, there was a large lace centerpiece, and in the middle of it was a floral mound of roses, like a funeral piece exactly, usually red. The four compotiers were much scrolled and embossed, and the four candlesticks also scrolled, but not to match, had shades of perforated silver over red silk linings, like those in restaurants today. And there was a gas drop light, thickly petticoated with fringed red silk. The plates were always heavily jeweled and hand-painted, and enough forks and knives and spoons were arrayed at each place for a dozen courses. The glasses numbered at least six, and the entire table was laden with little dishes and spoons. There were olives, radishes, celery, and salted nuts in glass dishes, and about ten kinds of sugar plums in ten different styles of ornate and bumpy silver dishes. And whenever a small space of tablecloth showed through, it was filled with either a big apostle spoon or little Dutch ones crisscrossed. That is a very elaborate table they are describing. Bejeweled plates and like chandeliers with, or gas lamps, I guess, with like special shades on them with fringe and overly Baroque silver and china patterns and little salted nuts to fill in the gaps. I know. I'm like sitting here going, the table, you can't see the tablecloth anywhere. I just, I love the fact that right when Emily started writing, this is what really changed. We let go of all of that stuff and instead kind of became a minimalist table with just the practicalities of what we need. And I think that makes so much more sense. But it would be interesting to see one of those tables all done up. I think it's really one of the reasons that Emily Post Etiquette has been so lasting is that she had an eye for the practical and she had an eye for um, etiquette and manners that were really going to function for people. And I really appreciate that approach that she took and enjoy carrying on that approach today. All right, maybe so, but it's it's also complicated. Is it? Look, there's nobody here. Let's try it out. So 
today we have two salutes for you, and our first one is from our listener, Heidi. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name's Heidi. I um, am a mom to two teenagers, and I have a wonderful husband, and I have stayed at home with them since our first was born. So my son is really into everything outdoors, but he really likes to um, shoot with an airsoft gun, which... I wasn't that excited about um, myself, nor is his sister, but he likes to go out and just put a target on the back of our fence and just try to shoot targets, and that's something he just kind of likes to do. And because I was so apprehensive, you know, I was, and he calls me the overprotective mother, but we made sure that, you know, he always wore eye protection and that he kind of, we back up to a, a lake in our neighborhood, so we'd make sure no one was walking behind the fence, and we said, you know, you have to be careful about the times you do it. No neighbors can be in the yard, and it can't be during dinner time. And um, a lot of times when he couldn't do it, but, you know, it's appropriate. We said, you know, maybe when somebody's mowing their lawn, <laughs> there's noise in the neighborhood anyway. So he doesn't always like that answer and kind of rolls his eyes. He's 14, and everything we say kind of gets eye-rolled at a lot. But um, one day we were, it was on a weekend, and he came down with his, airsoft gun, and I just said, you know, are you going to go outside? And he said, yes. And he said, I was going to go yesterday, but the house two doors down was having an open house, and I didn't think they'd appreciate it. And I guess we were really shocked because, first of all, you know, he usually is arguing with us about if he can or can't do it. And the fact that he noticed somebody else before himself, there was no eye rolling. And in fact, the eye rolling was, mom, it's not that big a deal. I, you know, I just didn't, because I was praising him. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, that was such a good decision and that kind of thing. But he really, you know, I thought it was great for a 14 year old to think about that. I didn't even know there was an open house. So, you know, the fact that he noticed and, uh, you know, I always am a big one about think of the others around you before you take an action, make sure that it's not impacting someone else. And so I was really proud that he did that. Heidi, I love your salute. I, I was that preteen who wanted a BB gun so bad and mm-hmm. entered a, a long negotiation with my parents about the responsibility and um, I could feel your son. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I also just so appreciate your work as a mother and that awareness that your son is not just looking for those limits so he can walk right up to them, but is understanding where the the rules that you're trying to put in place come from and that he, on, on a deeper level, honors and respects respects those places and um, what a treat it must be to be his mother. And thank you for sharing that that salute with us. I like that that he thought about the house a couple doors down. It wasn't just the neighbors right next door having the open house. It was a couple doors down. And then I love the part that he plays the cool teen. Mom, this is not a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. I got it. Like, I love it. I just I love I love all of that. (laughs) Wonderful salute, Heidi. Thank you so much for writing in. It's time. And now we need to offer a very special salute of our own that um, goes a little beyond our usual salute on the show, which is for a little point of good etiquette that makes someone's day a little better. We need to salute our producer, Hans Buto, who has not only been a part of the show since the beginning, but was there at the beginning, was part of the beginning of this show as a concept and was really instrumental in, in bringing it into being. Hans, I remember the first conversations that we had um, after being on Dinner Party Download and Dan and I would come back from the studios each week saying, boy, I wish we had our own show. I wish we had our own show. And then this magical man called 
And all of a sudden he was saying, would you like your own show? And is this something you'd want to do and develop? And I think it would be really cool. And I think we could really do this. And Hans really is the one who breathed life into this idea and made it happen. And it is without him, we would not be here, I don't think. And um, it's made a dream of ours come true. And I think for that, we will always be eternally grateful and you will always be a major part of the show, no matter how far away you are. I couldn't say it any better myself. And um, I will I will uh, pick up from the emotional place my cousin left off and wish you well on your future endeavors. <laughs> Something I often say to... Oh. The business seminar audiences that I get to talk to, um, we wish you great, great, great success. And we know the people that you work with moving forward will be really fortunate to work with you. I just want to say that I am tearing up, but my cousin Dan, who is always the pillar of strength, never never tears up on our show. And he is absolutely sitting here with... With, I'm a little emotional. With tears in his eyes. And this is, um, we are really excited about our next step. But this is, um, Hans, you've made a really big difference in our lives. And I think that is what we are really feeling here now. And it's something that we are never going to forget. And so thank you. Thank you for being our champion. And thank you for guiding us through and making us better at something we always wanted to do. And I cannot wait to introduce next week Chris Roberts, who will be picking up the baton and moving forward with the show in the same spirit of excellence and the same uh, with the same standards that you have helped establish for us here. And uh, we look forward to that in the same way that we appreciate everything that you've done for us. Is it bad <laughs> etiquette just to say ditto? No. Like, oh, <laughs> guys. Um, so I just want to say thank you to you guys. Um, that was really... Um, that meant a lot to me and it has been a really important two years. Uh, and this is the first show that I ever built and, um, you guys were amazing partners in doing that. Thank you. (laughs) We feel the same way. So let's, let's do it together. One, two, three. Thank Thank you, Hans. Hans. You guys. (laughs) Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true, you're a pal and a confidant I'm not ashamed to say I hope it always will stay this way for listening and thank you to everyone who sent us something you can send us questions comments and salutes to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860 on twitter i'm at lizzie a post and i'm at daniel underscore post and on facebook we're awesome etiquette and the emily post institute help us out subscribe on itunes and if you love the show leave a review Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show today was produced by the wonderful Hans Buto. 
shame.